and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Toivin, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's Cyprus this week? Uh, Cyprus this week is remarkably mild, actually. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if people don't want to hear that, but we're, we're having some really nice weather. Uh, I'm, I know the UK, as we record, is sweating. They're having a sort of late rush of summer. Um, I, I believe it's been a little bit toasty where you are and, well, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but here it's lovely. It's calmed down a bit. It's 31 degrees, which um, that, that's my sort of temperature. I like that. Uh, anything hotter than that, I find too hot. Um, but I can, like, 25 to 30, that'll do me every day of the week. What about you? How's sunny Canada? Well, it's not that sunny. Well, it's still sunny, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's it's variable. It's definitely got some fall chill in the air. Um, I've got long pants on at the moment, Stu, and, and it's Lord. only 14 degrees Celsius this morning as I took the dog out. Uh, it is chilling down. Very, very weird dismount to the summer season here. Uh, tourists have kind of dried up. It's just been more the same, right? I realized, uh, I was reading an article this, this week, Stu. BC, this summer, burned 2.2 million hectares of land. Now, I was kind of curious, so I Google what the size of Cyprus was. Um, Cyprus is 900 and change. So this is 2.3 si times the size of Cyprus went up in flames. Mm, I could believe it. Yeah, that's huge. Canada is just such an enormous place. I don't think maps ever really do it justice until you start looking at, you know, how long it takes to get from one side to the other by car and stuff. And people like me, I just, I don't understand journeys that long. Mm. The whole map thing is a, is an ongoing problem. We're still cut off. Um, and at best they're suggesting it will be Christmas before we, uh, have access to the big city to the North of us. Um, which means that we've got several hours of. Backroute detours, apparently they've uh, graded the road a little bit, so it's a little bit better, but apparently it's two hours of back roads with no cell phones, um, or it's about three and a half hours if you want to take the long route to uh, drive the highway in. So uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Excellent. So no work trips for a while? You're going to stay at home in your little den? No, I got to go back in September. Um, unfortunately... Oh. It just means that I'm detoured and it's a longer drive. Not that I can't get there. So uh, detour it is. Um, it may be a two-day trip. We'll see. Oh, dear. What about you? What you been up to? Oh, uh, what have I been up to? Well, I mean, mostly I've been researching this episode, which um, has, has just become a never-ending sort of wormhole where, um, well, I mean, we'll get to it later, but just trying to, to pick between um different bands from different periods uh, it sent me down all sorts of memory lane trips i'm, I'm sure it must have been the same for you oh yeah how, how did you approach this just out of curiosity <laughs> well uh well first of all um i i sort of got a bit john syracuse about the whole thing and said okay here we go let's let's define these terms we need definition here we need a, a precise question um and then then realized i was probably overthinking it definitely because you can approach this in a million and one ways, uh, and I don't think any is particularly better than than the other. But ultimately, I sort of settled on, okay, which bands sort of point in some way to me 
um, which is as willy, woolly, sort of huffy, puffy as it sounds. Um, but yeah, I, I could do this, you know, 50 bands to get you by would be, be a lot easier for me, I think. Yeah, it was hard to come up with just 10. Um, and I think I got to like seven. And it was like a jigsaw puzzle trying to, well, does this one fit? Well, what about this one? What about this one? You know, it was, it was really, really hard. So we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into our subject. For sure. Any tools this week, Stu? Uh, tools? Uh, well, meditation. I've, uh, I've, I sort of picked up my meditation practice again, which I've kind of left behind for the summer. Um, and yeah, I just, it, it's one of those things, you know, that you get back into it. You think, why did I stop? This is really good. It's, it's helped me get a little bit more focused. It's helped me be a little bit more centered, which I appreciate is a word that might not mean anything to some people, but it's, it's just a little bit more takes away some of the extremities of life, just sort of smooths off the rough edges. Uh, so really enjoying that. Uh, really GTDing, if that is a verb. Um, getting getting on top of my lists and sort of building them out again and doing some time blocking. It's got a real feel of of back to work, um, largely, I think, because Mrs. L has gone back to work or back to school. Even. Hmm. I'm still thinking about when I'm going to be able to get my summer vacation in. So, um, yeah, I think we're on a different page on this one, Stu. <laughs> well, what about you? Have you had a tool this week? Well, I did have, but uh, somebody crossed it out and... Uh, told me I was a whiner. <laughs> I, I was being very passive aggressive when I went through and uh, looked at all the show notes and I realized that uh, Stu had, I, I went very Syracuse-esque on this one. I uh, have a preamble to the show that we've been doing this for 120 times now, so nobody reads that anymore. But there are very specific rules for how to put links in. And Stu ignored every one of them when he was doing <laughs> his his uh, homework. Well, we in my defense, my lord, I put it to you. Um, actually, if you uh, because we've been looking up YouTube links for for these bands, um, when you paste a YouTube link, it automatically offers you a sort of rich link with a, a little preview player. I thought, oh, well, that's quite nice. Oh, Justin will like that. Um, and then, then I opened the document. I have revised this document many, many times uh, to find to find a note from Justin saying it's going to create lots of extra work for me. There's no markdown, um, so I invested ninety seconds in changing them all into markdown links to save Justin ninety seconds. Mm. The worst part of actually doing the show is the show um, notes. Just pointing that out, making all the links, because at that point I've done all the editing. And it's like, you're on the final part. And then it's like, oh no, there's this one more little tick of, I've got to do all this and code it for, for the web. Ugh. So anyway, yes, I do complain. I'm passive aggressive, but you know what? I have the links I like. So sometimes a little bit of passive aggressiveness gets you what you want. Although um, at the risk of, um, of being, I don't know, some Merlin man to your John Syracuse, you could have just dropped me a text saying, oh, could you put those in markdown, please? And I would have gone, okay. You were sleeping when I was looking at this stuff. <laughs> That's my defense. I'm going to go there. <laughs> All right. Accepted. All right. What are you writing with this week? Uh, I have inked up another Pelican. So I've got my, uh, it's the M205 Star Ruby which is a very beautiful sort of pink, well, I suppose, ruby color. Um, it's filled with Edelstein, which is Pelican Posh Ink, Star Ruby. It's the, the matching thing. 
Uh, unusually for me, this is a steel nibbed pen. I mean, I've got plenty of steel nib pens, but they don't generally make it into my rotation that often because I have a bit of a sort of gold nib snob. Um, but this one is, this is a proper workman-like Pelican. Quite small, but uh, writes beautifully. Um, although I would like a slightly softer nib because, well, you know, who, who doesn't like a bit of line variation? What about you? What are you writing with? You write with a paintbrush. You don't need any line variation. What are you doing? <laughs> Corners? Well, yeah, I do kind of like a, a, you know, a little bit of cornering and sort of, you know, some, some sweeps and that sort of thing. Mm. It's my artistic temperament. All right. It goes from big paint line with a brush to blob. That's what yeah. Stu likes. Blob. That's kind or of line. Yeah. Oof. It's a four inch, a four inch brush and an eight inch brush. That's, that's kind of what I want to see. Oh God, you can come do my walls. I got a couple that need redoing. <laughs> anyway, um, my pen of the week, I, it's not a new pen, but, uh, I sat down and I re-inked my pilot custom 823, which is a go-to pen. And I was doing show prep. I put this, this pen lives on my desk. It lives with the Mont Blanc midnight blue, the, the blue black that they do lovely combination. But I sat down with a Rhodia legal pad. A legal pad stew is what we North Americans use instead of a, whatever it is, four, I think it is. <laughs> Correct. Sim similar, but better just because it's not tall and skinny. Anyway, uh, I was doing show prep and I was using this, this gold nib, unlike stew, um, and it just flowed onto the paper. I, I made a list of, well, I made my... 10 and then i made my list of all the bands that i wanted to consider and then i was juggling which ones go here which ones go there it was it was just lovely it was an, an entirely cerebral experience i i did it all in my mind just thinking about which which bands represent me but just to sit at my desk my writing desk that is um at, with this legal pad and this nib that just flowed onto it. You know, when you get that stew, everything just flows so nice. It was, it was just a great experience. Plus the project was fun too. Yeah. I've got to say, I'm doing exactly that as, as you speak, I'm here, um, jotting down notes, uh, for the sake of jotting down notes, because it just, the Pelican is such a lovely writer. <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? But yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. All right, so we've kind of talked about this topic a little bit already. Our topic today, 10 bands to get to know you by. I saw this prompt on X, well, Twitter, Twix, whatever <laughs> you want to call this thing. Uh, the other day, yes, I still go on there once in a while. The idea just really grabbed me, and I thought it was perfect for Stu and I to discuss. Music is such a part of life for many people, and... Uh, we were out for a birthday dinner with my daughter last night. And uh, I, I, the other day I had talked to my wife about this and we were in the car on one of these detours, the long ones. Um, and she was playing DJ and she was pulling up all the music that she thought would make her top 10. I brought it up with my daughter and even she sat and played the game last night. Stu and I are similar ages we've grown up differently different sides of the world so i'm sure we have completely different tastes maybe different you know some things will be similar hmm. but i think at our point in life each of us is defined at different times by the music we listen 
too. So I figured this would be a interesting list um, to kind of put together. Stu, before we start, you've got some thoughts on this whole thing. Um, well, like I say, I mean, as, as we touched on earlier, I, I find it challenging um, to sort of to work out what the question was. <laughs> so, you know, is it my favorite 10 bands right now or sort of favorite bands of different times? Or is it, is it a band that says something about me or a band that I think is important? And I, I was getting into a whole sort of thing where I had at one point I had sort of, I suppose, probably six or seven eras defined of my life. And then sort of five or six bands for each, trying to sort of work out which, uh, it was all getting a little bit silly, at, at which point I just sort of sat back and said, okay, it, what am I looking for? Because I mean, things that aren't on my list, there was a um, a, a vocalist called Nick Kershaw. Um, he was from not far away from where, where I was from in Bristol. Um, he had uh, a very poppy sort of synthy sound. His big song was "Wouldn't It Be Good," um, and I, I loved him. I loved his hair. I loved his jacket. I loved everything that he did. And I thought, well, is he in my top ten, or was that just? And I decided it wasn't because that was one of those really sort of short affairs where, for you know, six months, I thought he was amazing, and then afterwards, I probably never listened to him again. Um, and so I sort of kicked it around a little bit, and, and eventually ended up sort of coming um instinctive you know what what bands really really meant something and then then i thought okay well do i need to think about um you know street cred i mean am i am i going to give myself away as as a you know secret country music fan apologies to all country music fans but stop it um I, and so eventually i thought well no i'll, I'll just put down what's true <laughs> people can make their own judgment what i think is true about this if it's for every person this list must be unique I think if it isn't unique, then it isn't real. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of approach this with the idea of if I gave this list to anybody that knows me, they would just go, oh, yes, that really it is the, the 10 bands that have been with me. Well, not necessarily all my life, because some of them are newer than others. Um, but that are consistent in my life that people can understand who I am as a person through this music. Mm. So not necessarily my 10 favorite bands, but they probably are, but bands that can tell somebody else who I am. Each one of them, the reason it's there probably has a little bit of a story in itself. So that was kind of the way I approached it, which I think is where you got to as well. Yeah. Did you sort of looking back at the list or looking back at the music, did you make any discoveries about yourself? No. Um, apart from the fact that uh, I could not do this for my iTunes library uh, because uh, I, I may have discussed how bad my iTunes library is before, but um, <laughs> I, I'm pushing 30,000 different songs in my iTunes library. So looking at this and going, hmm. Um, what I think was the discovery for me was how surprisingly consistent all that music is. I was, I was going to say your list has a real through line to it. Yeah. And, and it is really, um, when you break it down, it, it is very, very consistent. There's like a story there that mm -hmm. talks about who I am. 
Um, and, and, and that was a bit of a, you know, I, I mean, obviously I spent some time trying to figure out which pieces go in there, but looking back once it was done, I mean, there's a couple of odd, odd pieces, but, uh, you know, generally I think it does really say something about me. And if I look back at it and go, is this my list? Um, I could give this to anybody and they're definitely going to say, yeah, that's, that's you. How about you? What, now that you've looked back at it, any, any thoughts about your, your list, any through lines, anything like that, that you want to share? Yeah. Um, the first thing was that in my, in my early years, early Stuart, whatever that might be, I was very drawn to men in makeup. Now, I don't know what that says about me, to be honest. Well, you are podcasting with me, and I was one of those men in makeup back in those days, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine what your makeup looked like. Um, and I dare say you were not as pretty as some of the men that I was uh, uh, referring to. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking sort of new romantics, Duran Duran and these guys. I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what that says. But um, that kind of surprised me. What didn't surprise me is I've always been um, a little bit sort of, um, uh, it's the wrong word to use, but no, it's not, it's not. I've, I've been quite bipolar in my my music. There's, I like uh, some very clever, gentle, melodic stuff uh, at one end of the spectrum, but I also like um, very sort of, I suppose you call it stadium rock, arena rock, uh, gravelly voices, um, loud guitars, that type of thing at the other end. And so I think you begin to see that the start of my list is quite experimental and then it starts getting sort of rockier as things go on. Rockier, is that word? Yeah, I suppose it is. That was one word I was using when I was uh, reading or listening through all of your lists last night. Uh-huh. Uh, going, yeah, he's definitely got the heavier side going. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it is purely coincidental that it sort of, came out in that order um the the order for me is broadly um sort of chronological um with with a few sort of um uh sidesteps insofar as you know there's there's bands there who started in the 70s when i was you know a toddler um but when i discovered them is kind of where they fit into the chronology of the of the list anyway enough Let's start. What should we do? You do one each and then swap? Yeah, let's, let's do one each. Uh, do you want to lead off with your first choice? Alrighty. So number one for me uh, was The Police. Um, hmm. Little band from, well, I mean, from the UK, uh, quite, the Northeast, really. Um, Sting, as he famously went on to become. Uh, they released an album called Regatta de Blanc. Um, and it had all sorts of great songs on it. Message in a Bottle was was one that sticks in my head. And this would have been, I would have been at primary school, I'm guessing, just coming towards the end of primary school. Uh, and this was the sort of stuff that I was listening to on, wait for it, my Walkman, um, or on my big... Um, Ghetto Blaster. From that boogie box, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly, one of those. Um, and... Well, given that I was quite young and therefore as poor as a church mouse, I would have been recording the chart show um, in England. Uh, but I did buy this. I bought this on cassette, I think, Regatta de Blanc uh, by the police. It's got a sort of reggae feel to it. I wouldn't have known that at the time, 
but I was obviously just drawn to the bass and the sort of the weird rhythm. I mean, you, you're a musician. Reggae is, is it 4-3 or something rather than 4-4? Four, four? Uh, reggae, as you've noticed from my list, is not on there. <laughs> it's got a different, it's got a different beat to it. And I, I was really drawn to it. I loved that band. And even now you can listen to that album, Regatta Le Blanc, and every song stands up. It's, uh, it still works. So we're going to put, when we talk about this, we're going to have a list and links in the show notes. Yeah, each one of those will be to a YouTube video of one song that we thought was perhaps the most em emblematic of that band that we've chosen. So there'll be a link in here. I do encourage you to go to the show notes uh, because... Well, Stu had to do them twice, and uh, <laughs> I, you know I'll spend a lot of time making these into HTML for you. <laughs> I just just be prepared, obviously, that this is a very long process. Uh, YouTube is very very good with its algorithm. You could get lost in this for hours. I did. Yeah. Do you still listen to the police? Um, I haven't listened to the police until we started this exercise for, I would guess, maybe four or five years. Ooh. So um, that was a nice rediscovery for me. Excellent. So it's on your playlist now. It absolutely is. What about your number one? Who's your number one? All right. Uh, Mike Oldfield. Um, the first album I ever learned how to play myself, which is going to my father's big, what do you call them? The, the cabinet thing where it has, you know, the, the whole wood thing, you lift up the top and there's a record player and the tape deck. Oh, the music center. Yes. The music center. Uh, my parents were pretty young and um, I got to say the one good thing that I got from my parents, perhaps the only good thing, but uh, is their taste in music. And this would have been, I think it came out in 1973. So I was but a wee lad, as Stu would say. Mm -hmm. um, and this album, Tubular Bells, which most of the people now, including my daughter the other day, uh, calls spooky music because they then did it in the, <laughs> they use this in the exorcist, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it is a full, uh, two songs. So one song, 40 some odd minutes per or 20 some odd minutes, I guess, back in those days, uh, was each side of the album, uh, just absolutely brilliant. I listened to that over and over and over again. Um, I don't know how many different versions of this I have in my music library. I think I've got every version they've ever released. And, you know, as I said earlier this year, they just released the 50th anniversary. <clears throat> God, I'm feeling old. <laughs> uh, version of this, you know, the, the, the gold tubular bells. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of music. Um, it just, if, if I ever hear this little melody, I just basically stop whatever I do and, and listen. And I think the fact that, you know, this, this not being popular music at the time, um, I mean, it was somewhat popular, but it was, it wasn't chart music, right. Um, got me into some of the less popular music that you will see through my throughout, through my life. There's a lot of things in there that probably do might not as know as well as other stuff. So uh, just an amazing album. Um, if you can get it, listen to it. It's fantastic. Uh, headphones, full blast. It's just going to move your soul. Well, I, I've got to say, this is one of the ones on your list that I was familiar with before I had to listen to it, if you see what I mean. 
Mm-hmm. Well, as the Exorcist theme, right? Uh, no, I, I know it as Tubular Bells. I think my parents had it on, on record as well. So I would have, would have heard that at home. Oh, I like your parents already. <laughs> well, they're, they're both charming. All right. What's your number two, Stu? My number two was, okay, yeah. So 1983, I was 13 years old, uh, full of spunk, vim, and vigor. Uh, thought I was the bee's knees. I'd just gone to, um, I would have gone. And what's changed? Yeah, well, indeed. I'm not 13 anymore. Um, I'd just gone to, I guess, big school. So I was, I was at a preparatory school. Um, and then I would have moved up to to the big school. Um, and so I would have been in Oakley's house. That was my my boarding house at uh, Clifton College. Lovely place. You'd love it. And I remember going into somebody else's uh, dorm room. Um, I think it was like four guys sharing it. And I saw a poster and I heard a song. And I was absolutely transfixed. Um, it was the third album from this band. It wasn't, it wasn't their first, they hadn't arrived, but I just, they had passed me by entirely. I'd not heard them. Uh, they had a stupid name. Uh, they were from Ireland. Um, and the album and the poster, um, were called war. Um, so the band is you two, if you haven't already got there. And it was such a gritty sort of basic sound. I mean, I think at the time it would be reasonably fair to say that the Edge could play guitar. Adam Clayton kind of knew what a bass was, uh, and Larry Mullen could keep time on the drums. That was about the musical talent in the band. And you had this, you know, extraordinary, weird, egotistical, narcissistic um, nutcase um, Bono doing the lyrics uh, and fronting the band. But they were absolutely incredible. It was the, the song I heard was Sunday Bloody Sunday which has got all sorts of resonance and, and meaning for anybody um, from the UK or Ireland. Um, and it, it, it pertains to um, a terrible event in recent um, Irish history when um, a load of protesters um, in Northern Ireland, in the Troubles, as they are called, were um, basically attacked by the paratroop regiment um, of the United Kingdom. And for many, many years, the UK um, tried to shift the blame onto the protesters. It was a civil rights march. Um, it wasn't violent. There, there was no malintent from these people. I mean, obviously, it's a very complicated situation. I'm not taking sides. But um, it, the song is a, a battle cry for peace. That's probably the best way to say it. It's a fantastic song. The, the version I've linked to is live um, in Colorado from Red Rocks, um, 1983. Sunday, bloody Sunday from the album War by U2. Interesting. I uh, heard, got into U2, I'd heard them, but uh, I was living in LA at the time this was released and they were much more of a European uh, hit. It wasn't until, mm-hmm. um, what was their album after? Joshua Tree. No, uh, there was an album in between the two um, that uh, became much more popular uh, anyway yeah uh, good choice you too definitely under a blood red sky that's the one yes uh that was the album that i kind of heard them and then obviously you you can't help but go back and and hear some of these other anthems that they've got did you stay with you too because you two 
probably like me went through some very weird phases as they grew up they did yes that's for sure uh yeah i did i i went to see them i've seen them many many times in concert i used to follow them around europe um and yeah i stuck with them through all the weirdo phases um i i love the way they reinvented themselves several times yeah they have done a good job on that and then uh, they've got that uh, interesting reimagining sort of acoustic album that they did uh, mm -hmm. earlier this year last year that was cool yeah, Songs of Surrender, isn't it? That would be it. Uh, Jean-Michel Jarre is my second choice, a uh, French yeah, you know. musician. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yes. Um, ah, yes, very nice, uh, Jean-Michel. Uh, he is absolutely amazing. He, If you don't know the music, you'll probably have heard it, been used in adverts and things like that. Uh, he's a synthesizer player from... Well, I think his first album, uh, Oxygen, came out in 1974. This was another one of those early things in my life that has been a consistent. I still listen to him. Uh, 2019, I think it was. I finally got to see him in concert, um, which, you know, 45 so years, not too bad. Uh, yeah, his music has been a constant in... In my life, he's done a lot of, like you two, different things over his age. He's somewhat in his 70s now, still putting out uh, pop music. Um, but that almost classical sound to it, how he approached his music, uh, certainly in my younger years, was a defining point. It's part of the reason that uh, I play synthesizers is because of his music. Um, I stayed away from the guitar stuff that Stu has a theme for <laughs> and went to, went to the synthesizer stuff uh, largely because of his music. Um, just amazing stuff. Uh, I've got in there Oxygen Part 4, which is uh, off his original. It's kind of the hit one. You've probably heard it. I'm sure Stu's heard this one before. Oh, no. Jean-Michel Jarre, I was into him for a while um, and uh, sort of all through my life, because I lived in France for a while, um, I was fascinated by his um, his love life. I mean, he he was um, he was kind of a pop star before there were really pop stars. Um, he just kept marrying and going out with spectacular women. He was married to Charlotte Rampling, um, who was uh, a huge sex symbol in the in the late seventies, early eighties. And then he went out with Isabella Gianni, who was part of the Nouvelle Vague, um, just an incredibly beautiful actress, very talented too. Um, and then married uh, Anne Barillot. I mean, he's sort of, it's a who's who of, uh, of French acting he's, he's been married to or dating. <laughs> you know, the funny part, you know all about his personal life. <laughs> As the geek that I am, I know all about the keyboards that he was playing. <laughs> yeah, for sure I, I remember seeing him on tv once and he you know he was surrounded by them he would just move from one to the other and there would be all he did loads of light shows didn't he with his his music that was the thing if you went to see him live it was an incredible light show as well as the music yeah he'd shut down entire cities to perform a concert uh, which is why he never actually did a, a short tour uh until sort of uh just before the pandemic and that kind of screwed everything up so uh, maybe sure. maybe we can cause or blame him for 
because of the pandemic, because if he'd <laughs> just carried on doing his big shows, nobody would have noticed. <laughs> oh, gosh, Jean-Michel Jean. Very nice. Yeah, another one. Yeah, I like that. I, I listened to that as a kid, too. Well, yeah, probably as a kid. Yeah, that's fair. It would have been a kid, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm old, Stu. You're old. Older than time itself. Mm -hmm. What's next for you, Stu? Uh, well, this, this is an old one. Uh, David Bowie. Um, he, uh, I came across him in the eighties as part of that whole new romantic thing. So, um, I mentioned them before Duran Duran and sort of, um, Spandau Ballet, all these bands. And at the same time, David Bowie released an album that had, uh, Let's Dance, China Girl, uh, very sort of commercial poppy stuff, lots of synth, um, I think probably some of his best-selling records, actually. Um, but through them, I started listening to his back catalogue and then came across um, Ziggy Stardust um, and The Spiders from Mars, which was, um, if you don't know, David Bowie sort of throughout his career had several incarnations, uh, Ziggy Stardust being one of them. And this is where I start, you know, my, my sort of fascination for makeup. Um, it had sort of bright red, um, spiky hair, lots and lots of makeup. Um, and it probably, um, probably my favorite song would be, um, what's it called? What on earth's going on there? Um, Ziggy Stardust. What's the song called? Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars, I think. I can't remember now. Um, just the whole album just blew me away. This was the first time I'd really seen experimental um sort of rock music and bowie was at the forefront of pretty much everything that was happening i think um and this would have been oh ziggy stylist would be in the 70s so it was very glam there's lots of high heels and um silver silver boots i see my platform boots oh what i'd give for a pair of those nowadays wouldn't be able to walk in them. Uh, it's funny, uh, our journey on Bowie is completely the opposite because I listened to him. My parents were, as you gathered into some of the more alternative stuff, not the real common stuff back in the day. And uh, they were all into Ziggy Stardust and that was all on, on the home, you know, mm -hmm. entertainment system. Um, so I got in there and by the time he did the stuff in the eighties, I just couldn't do it anymore. It was that synth pop. Oof, oof. Even to this day, if that comes on the radio, it's skip, it's fast forward, it's change of towns. <laughs> listen to silence before I listen to that stuff. <laughs> well, we definitely differ there. I love the bass line in Let's Dance. Mm. Uh, I saw a fun video the other day. Somebody had done some Foley on it and it was the song that Bowie did with Mick Jagger. Mm, dancing in the street. That's it. The video for it. They'd stripped out the music and they had uh, made it sound as if they were doing all the shuffles for when he was, when Jagger was dancing and uh, mm. it was just hilarious. It was, I'll have to see if I can find that and put it in. I don't know. I think it was on social media. So you know what those are. Once you flick past it, it's gone. It's gone forever. Gone. Gone and gone. Anyway, cool stuff. Similar, but different. That's the whole point of this is finding out everybody's list, which is perfect to them. My list, number three, 
Gary Newman. I probably talked about him a lot before here because, you know, um, I've been listening to him since the late 70s. Top of the Pops English thing, Mm -hmm. uh, I think was where I had seen him playing. I think it would have been Cars back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. The synth line on there, just a big call to my soul, big Moog synth. He went really poppy. I kind of fell out of listening to him. Uh, Back in the early 90s, weirdly, he did a collaboration with a comic book artist. So he he had no representation in America. He was he's an English uh, artist. Um, He reinvented himself. And in order to promote himself, he promoted himself through this comic book artist. And they did a limited edition North American release because nobody was listening to his music out here anyway. Um, and I got it because I it's one of my favorite artists and fell in love with it again and uh, have been listening to him. I've been to every concert I could be at um, of his since then. Um, back in, I don't know what year, that would have been maybe 2015. Uh, Cindy and I met him. Um, and... We sat down and we were chatting and, you know, this is a guy I've been listening to since 1979 and we sat down and we talked like friends about our kids and what the kids were up to. Um, he's brilliant. He's dark. He's got a hugely interesting journey with religion as do I. Um, and of course I have a tattoo of one of his album covers because that's the kind of way I rock. Um, so Gary Newman, uh, Absolution is the song that I put on that has some of the deepest sort of, uh, I would say darkest, but it's all about love and, uh, sort of his, uh, journey with religion and kind of, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, and as I say, I listen to his stuff. Um, I, I, there was a concert earlier this year that he came to Vancouver and I couldn't make it down there. But I had a friend of mine who I know from his music. We've met. We've gone to every concert together. He was sitting there with his phone live streaming the concert to me, (laughs) Um, which is, you know, it just kind of says everything you need to know about Gary Newman and the crowd of people that listen to him. And yeah, it's just fun. Were you ever a Gary Newman fan? Have you heard any of his newer stuff? No. I mean, I saw um, probably the same broadcast that you did. I mean, around the time of Cars where he was, um, I see the race where very sort of um, modern type, um, I was going to say uniform costumes. There was a sort of element of of new wave and new romantic to him, but it was different. Um, and I listened to that and it was kind of good. And then, as you say, he's, he sort of disappeared off my radar completely um, until you started talking about it. And now you listen to his good stuff. Well, n- now I'm I'm discovering. I'm discovering. I'll put it that way. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not committing to being a fan just yet. But I'll. Uh, I'll keep listening. Weirdly, my daughter put Gary Newman on her top ten list, which I just. And that was a moment that melted my heart because <laughs> I have broken that poor kid. Lady, ladies and gentlemen, Justin Twyford's wallet is about to be emptied. He doesn't know it yet, but something's coming. I can tell. It was a birthday yesterday. It was emptied. It's part of been a parent. Ah, well, there you go. It's already emptied. <laughs> exactly. All right. What's your number four? Uh, number four for me is Japan. Um, 
I came to these guys sort of weirdly through Bowie, um, um, from Bowie and uh, Ziggy Stardust. There's a band who did a great cover of Ziggy Stardust was Bauhaus, mm-hmm. um, who are, um, well, I mean, what can you say about Bauhaus? They were a sort of German-esque, well, the name gives it away, really. Um, lots of synths as well. Um, and I loved their stuff. And the bassist in Bauhaus was a guy called Mick Kahn, who also used to play bass for a band called Japan. I started listening to them. Um, and there's very, very quiet, not quiet, necessarily soothing, melodic, uh, mostly uh, synthesizers, um, sort of haunting melodies, very haunting voice. But at the same time, uh, lots of lots of makeup, um, very smartly dressed. They they didn't like being called new romantic because the the uh, David Sylvian said something along the lines of these guys Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet they put on this uniform to perform. We live it. Um, so you can tell he took himself quite seriously. Um, uh, but I loved that period of about four albums from Japan that were just beautiful, lovely. Great music to study by, to to sleep by. Um, so I've linked to um, a top of the pops performance, in fact, of Ghosts, which was about as far away from a typical top of the pop song as you could get back then. Um, but it's really, really quite nice. Have a listen. Hmm. I was surprised to see this. It kind of doesn't fit with the rest of your stuff. So mm. very chill. Uh, I came to Japan weirdly through Bauhaus because, well. Bauhaus. Yeah. Um, Bauhaus is probably number 12 on my list. Um, it was, it was one of those lists of, do I put this in or do I not? Um, yeah, they were close to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, that you, you were into that. I, I'm surprised it's, it's, it's mellow for Stu. Stu likes <laughs> a little more rock and roll, as you can tell. Mm. Cool. All right. My number four, no. well, Depeche Mode. What can I say? I grew up in in the eighties. Um, this was the sound of my youth, of freedom, of growing up, as well as my first tattoo. Um, this song is a go-to for testing any music system or headphones or anything that uh, I have because I know the music that well. The song that I chose was Waiting for the Night from the Violator album, which would have been mm-hmm. probably later stuff, uh, the early 90s, 91, I think, for them, something like that. Uh, but that album just uh, was the perfect album for me, even after I'd listened to them for years. Um, and, you know, I still listen to them to this day. Uh, my Apple Music recap has their latest album uh, as one of my favorites of this year so far. Um, a fairly standard i think everybody knows them but uh mm-hmm. yeah they just they were they were sign of my youth i i had an album of theirs on cassette and when i learned to drive my dad's car um i would pop the cassette in and it would just go round and round and round and that was that was my driving song was depeche mode ah freedom <laughs> good bands i mean i remember early 90s as you say i think it was probably when they were commercially the most successful and um, I was I was part time in Paris and part time at uni in in Northern England. Uh, I used to work a door, um, and there was one club night. I can't remember what it was called, but there would be Depeche Mode and uh, 
the cure, um, soft cell, um, sort of oil, a sort of goth light, I guess, would have been, would have been a good name for the night. Um, I remember very sort of, it was very dance friendly in that weird 80s dance or 90s dance sort of way. Um, I'm not sure people now would find it very dance friendly, but there you go. We thought it was cool at the time. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. What's your next choice? Number five. Where do we get to the number five? Oh, the the. Um, so uh, young younger listeners, um, you may have um, seen a thing called Derry Girls uh, on TV, um, a series out of Northern Ireland. That features quite a lot of music from the the. Uh, the the was essentially one guy, um, and he would have a sort of rotation of people coming in and out of the band with him. Um, Johnny Marr of the Smiths um, played guitar in the The for quite a long time. The lyrics are astonishing. Um, it, it is proper poetry. Um, there are some lines that every time I hear them um, make, make me smile. And I'm not going to give you any of them. You're going to have to listen uh, because they are very clearly enunciated. You, you can't miss them, um, but they will just make you smile. They're just so lyrical. And then there's a song called Uncertain Smile, which is what I've linked to, where there's a, uh, the last sort of minute of the song is a piano solo by a guy called Jules Holland, um, who has had a long running show on the BBC. Um, he's a he's a musician's musician and he just has a massive jam session he is the best way to spend new year's eve in the uk if you're not going out uh you turn him on he's on bbc2 and it's uh jules's hootenanny um and it's it's essentially a six-hour jam session uh, to see in the new year and he's a fantastic pianist it's a very jazzy um not very rocky Again, Justin, you're going to be quite quite sort of turned down by that. There's not a lot of rock there, um, but it is quite upbeat. Um, and well, it's upbeat music, usually with quite a downbeat message. Let's put it that way. Uh, if you haven't heard the, the go listen. The guy's called uh, Matt Johnson, and he recorded a couple of things under his own name as well. But uh, he's been doing it for years, since the 70s, late 70s. Mm. Uh, definitely one of the ones that I was aware of. Uh, they've got a... 45 RPM, the singles of the the uh, album on Apple Music, and I'm assuming Spotify too, from 2002 that has basically all of the hits on oh, it there you go. Uh, and the 12-inch versions of it on disc two. Oh, cool. Definitely. Uh, just add it to my playlist. Thanks, Stu. I might, I might look that out as well, actually. That sounds like I would like that, the 12 inches. All right. Uh, number five for me, Sisters of Mercy. Well, these were... Oh, yeah. If Depeche Mode was anthems from my teens, uh, Sisters of Mercy, well, was in there as well. But uh, yeah, in my 20s, my early 20s, my first apartment, second apartment, uh, was all about Sisters of Mercy. Um, it was just one of those fantastic bands that that made a lot to me um i was downtown vancouver i was in nightclubs most nights um you know things that normal uh 20 year olds do they go out and party um there was a bunny that lived with us it was actually my roommates and uh, it was called lucretia after a song which i've linked to lucretia my reflection so yeah it was it was just 
times of my life and uh, <laughs> still listen to it now. It's kind of in all of my, all of my playlists as one of those fantastic ones. Ah, <laughs> I think they were a German band. Just fantastic. Anyway, there's my number five. What's your number six? Yeah. My number six, uh, is, oh, well, here's a, here's a, a departure. The Stray Cats. I was waiting for this one or something similar because <laughs> you, you were talking last week uh, where we we're talking identity that you were a rockabilly for a while, which of course, yep. uh, the Stray Cats is perhaps the most famous rockabilly to go mainstream, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. It was. Yeah. I mean, um, Stray Cat Strut is a nonsensical song. Uh, the video, uh, will probably make you cry with laughter. Um, uh, it's just a fabulous song. I used to sing it with, uh, Pip, uh, my, my rockabilly mentor. It was a guy I was at college with, uh, the coolest guy I've ever, ever known. He had a, um, a flat top haircut, um, a perfecto jacket, blue jeans turned up, brothel creepers. Um, and I mean, he wasn't, uh, being a rockabilly. He, if you cut him in half, he was a rockabilly. He had a drum kit in his, his bedroom. Uh, he now plays, um, I play sort of B-Wop drumming um, as, a, he's, as a teacher. Um, fantastic times. And we used to go around singing Stray Cat Strut, a cappella. Uh, we used to do uh, Eddie Cochran songs, Elvis songs. Uh, we had another mate who had a van. I mean, a van, but freedom of van was. And we would go and this, I mean, our, our, our social life was proper rock and roll. We would go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and buy a bucket of chicken and we would drive up to a place called the Downs in Bristol, which is basically a big park. And we would park up, eat our chicken and listen to Elvis albums. There we go. That's what we would do. We didn't have any money. Um, and yeah, Stray Cats just will take me back there in a heartbeat. I'm back there. Uh, humming or singing, clicking my fingers. I'm looking in my back pocket for my comb. I'm checking that my my hair. I had a quiff, um, brill cream, <laughs> the the whole nine yards. Oh boy, the things we did with our hair back in the day. <laughs> uh, it was fantastic times. Fantastic times. What about you? Where did you go for number six? I went to a tribe called Red, which is a uh -huh. Canadian indigenous um, DJ sort of thing they take a lot of um indigenous music uh, the track that i called is uh, that i picked is the electric powwow drum which has uh, if you've ever been to a powwow i'm guessing Stu, probably not uh <laughs> but the uh the the drumming the the calls that they do um it's it's just fantastic to a rocking beat um this is a more modern band for me it's sort of within the last 10 years um stands for canadian freedom for me it's the open road this was sort of my anthem on the harleys if i just got up and go um this music grounded me with the roads with nature with uh, respect for the first nations out here um a respect for the troubled history of canada uh, some of their stuff has a very political um Mm -hmm. side to it because well canada we uh we may be nice in the eyes of the world but we did some horrible things back in the days to uh the indigenous people of of our area as ever it was it was mostly the brits justin uh, uh, 
we won't get into it, but uh, <laughs> it's it's if you're if you're interested, it is pretty disgusting, and uh, you know, sure. Um, but I, I I I think I was watching something about Australia the other day. They had a similar problem. It's it's kind of common in the world. We take it over and screw it up. Um, but this one brings me back to Canada with with a beat. Yeah, I'm sure this is something you'd never heard of before, Stu. Uh, only from you. You've mentioned it to me before, and you sent me a link before, and I listened to it. And the drumming is um, is hypnotic, isn't it? That's the, the 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 best word I could describe for it. It sort of just it, it's almost meditative. <laughs> um, I, I really quite liked it. I have to say. Cool. What's uh, number seven for you, Stu? Uh, number seven. Oh, we're, we're going. This is the the last sort of mild mannered one. Um, Massive Attack. So this is a band um, at the time. I listened to the word called Massive, I think. Um, so my rockabilly mentor was Pip. Um, his um, mother was German. His father was British. Uh, both of the parents were professors at the university. And he lived in the coolest house I've ever seen, where essentially they had a dog called Dog, and they had a cat called Cat. And the, the kid... The, the parents had taken this whole sort of hands-off approach. They, they'd got their children to the stage where they could feed themselves, and then they were pretty much on their own to do what they wanted to do. And so um, I thought this was amazing, and I actually left home because I was a rebel without a clue at that time and moved in with Pip. And um, used to hang out with him being a rockabilly, but he had one of those mythical beings called an elder brother who would have been, I guess, about three years older. Um, went by the name of Leon. That wasn't his real name, but he went by Leon. And he had no interest in rockabilly music. Uh, he quite liked smoking dope, uh, which was yeah, something I found mildly interesting at the time. And he introduced me to a whole genre of music, Hawkwind, um, Pink Floyd, early Genesis, like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, that sort of stuff. Um, and at night, he would he would go out late to there were even then back in this would have been the late 80s there were um some bars that had late licenses and were effectively nightclubs all the pubs um younger people won't know this but all the pubs used to close in britain at 11 p.m end of drinking no more drinking and if you wanted to drink after that you had to go to a nightclub but there were a few pubs that were live music venues and they could stay open until two and these bands local bands would play um and bristol had a completely i didn't realize this at the time but it had a completely unique sound um and a sort of musical genre that was coming out of it called trip hop um and this band massive or massive attack as, as they became were were a great part of that and completely different from anything else i've ever liked but i just loved the um it's got a very sort of gentle rhythm to it but uh underlaying a sort of really nice melody that that sits across the top it was music i'd never ever heard before and i still listen to it now um the one i've linked to is is their their sort of biggest song their most commercial song which is called unfinished sympathy um but have a listen um that that was bristol in the late 80s it was incredible um and from there i got into acid house i don't know if that ever got as far as canada um, but uh, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It was house music with lots of acid, um, although more ecstasy than, than acid. 
Um, and that was, that was like a, I suppose a six month period that I remember very, very little of, but I had a cracking time. Cool. I uh, wasn't, uh, never really got into Massive Attack. I did actually go to see them in concert at the Folk Fest in Vancouver a number of years ago and uh, wasn't a fan of all the people that uh, came just to listen to them. So uh -huh. we actually got up and left. Oh, wow. Uh, just because it was, uh, yeah, it was, the people were not very into the festival scene. Mm. Uh, you know, the festival scene, you sit down, you chill, you've got your your chair with you, your low chair, so you don't block anybody's view. And then all of a sudden, these young people that were into Massive Attack came in and basically stood in front of everybody, trod on everybody's toes. It was just a, it was just not worth it. So we moved on. Mood killer. Oh, it certainly was. Um, speaking of moods, my number seven, Nine Inch Nails. Um, Great band. You know, in our 20s, it was just kind of who it was. It was so powerful to me that it was actually my wedding song at my first wedding reception. You know, the one where you actually get up and dance? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually had Nine Inch Nails there just because, and uh, something I could never have, which, you know, may have actually been a uh, precursor for how that uh, marriage was going to last. But <laughs> uh, it was, this was my wedding song. And, uh, you know, I, I especially like the part where all the old people that, you know, the grandparents that were sitting around um, got so offended by the F-bomb that uh, dropped somewhere in the song that I hadn't thought about. <laughs> Oops. Oh, uh, well. <sighs> uh, what's your number eight, Stu? Uh, number eight. Okay. So uh, back right to this one is um, in 88, I went to Paris. Uh, just because I could. Uh, and I ended up working um, in a bureau de change on the Boulevard Saint-Michel, which is on the left bank of the Seine, uh, in the center of Paris. It's very, very um, trendy. Uh, it's close to uh, the Boulevard Saint-Germain, where Hemingway used to hang out and all that stuff. So it's it's a lovely part of Paris. And we had a bureau de change on the Place Saint-Michel, and right next to it is a bar called Le Lutesse, uh, The Letters. It's still there. Uh, it's a famous old cafe on a corner. Um, people may not know that French bars have two prices. So if you sit down at uh, one of those little tables where you can just people watch and uh, just look very cool and French, uh, you pay one price. Uh, if you go and stand at the bar, uh, you pay, broadly speaking, about half um, for the same drink. Um, being hmm. young people, uh, we were not particularly interested in sitting there and people watching. We were you know, too busy watching ourselves, really. So we would go to the bar and we, we brought a sort of British expatriate sort of approach to work. So, you know, work closed and we would pour out of work into the bar. Um, and then at some point we would pour out of the bar into work. And sometimes we'd even go to sleep in between, but not always. Um, and there was a pinball machine there called, uh, for the Adams Family, which I'm sure people will, will know, the, the movie The Adams Family. It had a spin-off pinball machine, uh, which was very, very good. And it had a thing called a jukebox. Okay. You'll have to look that up, young young people. Um, and in the jukebox, uh, I I saw this album cover with a sort of I don't know, it's a baby drowning sort of thing. Um, and the album was Nevermind by Nirvana, and the 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 sort of lead track on it was uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, which still this day can can um, get me fired up can get my my heart rate up 
I, it's just an amazing song. I think they're a brilliant band. I love their their sort of anger, their nihilism. Um, I loved it um, and still do. Still a huge fan of Nirvana, although clearly uh, with the lead singer and chief songwriter having passed away, they don't produce that much anymore. <laughs> Ah, I could, I, I never got into this grunge sound. It just, I, I get it. It's, uh, you know, I, I understand why people like it, but uh, that grunge was just, uh, the, the music was so unclear, you know, everything was loud and together, Yeah. but uh, I, I, it's, it's a choice. I, I, I know lots of people that uh, really got into them. So that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, you've got to, you've got to have beer. You've got to have noise. You've got to be, uh, it's, you know, you're not going to sit, sit down with a glass of wine and go, I know I shall listen to a Nirvana album. doesn't happen that way. Um, this is, this is proper chaos. Tends to lead me to misbehave. So don't listen to mm. it too much. Uh, did you know that the baby from that album cover is suing the estates of the people from Nirvana? Yes. Because they were abused, uh, claiming child abuse and all that stuff. Yep, I, I remember reading the story here. Weird, eh? Mm, well. All right, my next choice is Peter Gabriel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which uh, I think you had already mentioned in your, uh, how you came to Japan through some of that similar music, uh, his experimental stuff. Uh, some of it was pop, some of it was not so much pop and was so much deeper. Uh, the Passion album, uh, which is, I think, the... The music from The Last Temptation of Jesus Christ. It's a movie soundtrack. Mm -hmm. um, that album is one of my single most played albums of all time. Uh, I discovered it at a truly independent comic shop down in Washington State in the U.S. Um, I walked into it. I basically sprinted up to, by the time I picked up my jaw, because it was just amazing, uh, went up to the teller and said, what is this? And found the nearest, uh, CD store and purchased it. It just blew me away. Um, so this, this album is quite musical. There's not a lot of lyrics on there, uh, but it's Peter Gabriel at his best. Some of his other stuff, Sledgehammer, uh, the one he did with, uh, Kate Bush, just fantastic as well. Um, one of those artists that has changed along the way and I continue to listen to his stuff from his early stuff to his later stuff. But, uh, this album, the passion is just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, incredibly talented. I mean, like some of his songs would, would definitely be in my top 100, I suppose. Salisbury Hills, an amazing song. Sledgehammer with that video that was, um, sort of groundbreaking. That was, sh that was shot in Bristol. It's another, another plug for Bristol. Um, just an incredibly talented man, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. What you got for number nine? Uh, number nine is it kind of the natural follow-on from number eight. Um, after the death of Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, uh, the rest of the band were clearly distraught. Um, he, he'd taken his own life. And uh, Dave Grohl, who was the drummer, very geeky, sort of teethy, weird-looking drummer, um, was uh sort of went on a tour spent a lot of time in ireland just trying to sort of work out who he was and what he wanted from life uh and he uh went home and i maybe maybe you're dave Grohl, justin i don't know he he had the ability to record an album and record all the parts himself 
So he, he was a drummer. Um, he could play the bass. He could play guitar. Um, and turns out he could sing a bit. Um, and so he recorded an album, um, put it under a sort of uh, a temporary name, just just uh, a sort of placeholder. Um, and, and that was the birth of Foo Fighters, hmm. who then went on to become, um, well, I'd say probably in the top five in terms of um, stadium rock bands, that there are few better. Um, and then in a weird sort of echo of history, uh, just last year, the drummer um, who he'd taken on, uh, a guy called Taylor Hawkins, who used to drum with Alanis Morissette, amongst others, uh, who's a hell of a drummer, um, but also quite a fan of drug use. Uh, he he passed away um, in South America. They were on tour in South America. Uh, so the song that I've linked to is from the memorial concert for the drummer Shane Hawkins. Um, not Shane Hawkins, Tyler Hawkins, sorry, um, with his son, Shane Hawkins, uh, drumming for a song called My Hero. Uh, if you listen to the song in the context of, of when it was recorded and who's playing the drums, it's it's quite sort of emotional. Um, they are, I think, without doubt, the best live band I have ever seen by a street. Their concerts are incredibly long. Um, they keep going as long as the crowd keeps going or until somebody pulls the plug out. Um, and they are, it's just an incredible energy surge to be um, at a Foo Fighters gig or to even just to listen to the play. They're awesome. Cool. I knew this was going to be on your list because you've talked about them before. I know it's a, a, a you're a fan. Um, well, I certainly am. It's a little guitar for me, but uh, now that uh, I kind of read that a little bit more and you explained who the kid was on the drums, that makes a lot more sense now. Huh. Mm. I should read the show notes, shouldn't I, Stu? <laughs> well, only if they're in the right format, obviously. Exactly. I was, I was thrown off by that. That's my excuse. <laughs> um, number nine for me, The Tear Garden. I'm not sure if this is one you've ever heard of before. Not until uh, not until I saw the link. No. Mm -hmm. So Skinny Puppy was one of the bands that got me out to Vancouver, and they they recorded for a, a label called Network out here. And Skinny Puppy was close to the top on my list, but they went quite heavy, uh, more Stu side of this yeah. uh, than mine. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um. One of the side projects that uh, one of the guys from Skinny Puppy did is a project called the Tear Garden. Um, and this is, I've, I've been listening to this for, for, I don't know, 30 odd years. Um, the band and I have grown together. It's quirky. It's a little, um, my wife hates when I listen to this music. She asked me to change the song because it's, she calls it noise. Uh, so it's dark, it's quirky, a lot like me, actually. Um, the song that I picked was Ophelia, which uh, I think just is completely representative of what their music is. But again, they've changed throughout the years and they keep this up as a side project and it's, it's never a commercial success. It's just one of those, if you, if you like it, you'll like it. Mm -hmm. And boy, do I like this stuff. Very good. Very good. Uh, number 10, this was weird because we both went kind of wild card on number 10, didn't we? Um, and I initially 
um, and I'm cheating here so I can talk about a choice that I didn't make. Um, I was initially going to put um, the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards, mm. um, the pipe band. So um, I'm of Scottish antecedents and I, I do like a little bit of bagpiping. The thing I would say about bagpipes is that they're much better live than they are recorded, I think. Um, but they've marked so many parts of, of my life. So um, the current Mrs. Lennon walked down the aisle to Amazing Grace, played on a bagpipe. Um, my father's funeral uh, involved quite a lot of pipe music. Um, when, when we do get back to the UK, wow. we try uh, every few years to go to the Edinburgh Tattoo, uh, which is, if it's not on your bucket list, it needs to be people. Get it on your bucket list. It's an incredible evening. Uh, wear lots of clothes. Don't be fooled by August, right? 11 o'clock at night is cold. In Edinburgh. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it's just a fantastic sort of sound. But I really, I was really sort of put off by, I couldn't find a clip. <laughs> that, that really uh, communicated for me my, my feeling for them. So um, I then had a, th a thought about a song that had moved me immensely. And it's, it's a wild card, I guess, because it's really this one song that turned me on to this band. And I'm now sort of, as we speak, discovering this band. Um, the song is um, The Sound of Silence, written by. Simon and Garfunkel, uh, which I had no idea because it's, when they sing it, it's quite sort of light and fluffy. But actually, if you listen closely to the lyrics, it's not light and fluffy at all. Um, and there's a band called Disturbed who did a cover of it. Um, and uh, what, what really, really turns me on about this is that um, there's, there's this belief that I often hear people say that hard rock singers can't sing. Uh, if you in any way identify with this statement, then listen, click on this link and go and listen to this cover of The Sound of Silence. It is incredible. Oh, and play it loud. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, fantastic. Um, not just can't sing, but the band can play. The uh, piano in there is perfect to go along mm. with his voice the whole song it's it's the best cover ever recorded in, in my opinion yeah i would i would agree with you there the rest of the stuff falls a little more on your side of the sure um loud screaming guitars uh, i've got a couple of their albums but uh yeah they're I, you gotta be in the mood for me to listen to that stuff but that one song is is on several of my uh playlists as well I have a playlist called Powerful, which is mm -hmm. all the stuff that really moves my soul. And, uh, well, all the stuff that I've got on there is there is on there. And, well, that song's also on there as well. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to close this up with a choice that nobody expects after my first nine. Amen. <laughs> uh, Deva Premel. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her. No. Uh, she... Um, is a disciple of Osho. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Um, it's basically a, uh, how do I say this nicely? Um, an Indian guru, I think is a good way to say that, uh, who passed away a number of years ago. She sings yoga mantras with the most amazing, amazing 
voice uh, melodies. A lot of them are call and response. Um, and those chants, well, I went to a few of her concerts, but uh, this concert series, uh, 2009, um, I was sitting there in tears uh, when she was singing this music. Um, you know, you've got hundreds of people and they're all singing back the song. It is such a powerful experience. Uh, this song is probably her most popular, which is why I put it in there just so that everybody's probably heard it. Gayatri Mantra, which is um, uh, a mantra that one sings or one chants to oneself for 108 times. She actually sings it out there in, in the song. Just fantastic. Um, stuff to move your soul. It's mellow. It's chill. Uh, listen to some of her call and response stuff as well. Really will maybe um, change how you feel about music a little bit. Did it move you, Stu? Well, I only I only listened to a couple of minutes of it. I thought, where's this come from? I mean, I, I appreciate that you've uh, always been into um, yoga, but I had no idea that this was uh, this was a part of that. I mean, I suppose that reveals my ignorance more than anything else. But um, yeah, uh, fascinating. I'm I'm gonna take some time to listen to it. It's the sort of thing I think I need to be you know get myself seated, get myself a uh, a glass of water and just um, listen to rather than sort of have it on in the background. It's not quite, you know, you two that can bubble along in the background. Hmm. What I would suggest is if you're meditating, listen to this as part of your meditation practice. It will help you find a space and a, and a, a tranquility in yourself if you just sit and listen. I, again, it's not background music, really. You can listen to it in the background, but uh, I think you get a lot more when you're actively sitting, relaxing, and absorbing the sound. That's enough of the hippie me, though. So, uh, Stu, what an exercise. Uh, any takeaways? Uh, well, I mean, thanks for setting this up. I've really, really enjoyed it, would be one. Um, but yeah, I mean, life without music is like living in black and white. Definitely. Oh, and you know, everybody's got their own journey on this. Um, my takeaway, music moves a soul, defines us. Try taking this challenge if you can. It's fun. It's a great exercise. Uh, at any age, it'll just, it, it will change, but maybe stay the same. Um, it, it's just a fun process. If you want to share those with us, please email us your choices. Uh, Stu and I would love to listen to them. Stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Where else can people find you on the internet this week, Stu? Oh, well, I've broken the internet, or at least my little part of it. Um, so uh, neurosnotes.co.uk. Uh, um, you can also find that on the socials, Nero's Notes at Instagram, or uh, Nero's Notes on, well, what did you call it earlier? Twix? I'm sure that's already reserved by someone. Um <laughs> Or you can find uh, my writing at stuartlennon.com. Or if you're into anti-money laundering, and why wouldn't you be? Uh, limeconsulting.com is a place to look. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Uh, I've been pretty quiet, uh, apart from the podcast. Uh, you can find me at justintwyford.com. It's got links to everything that I do. Um, please take a moment to like reviewers on your podcast, Catch Your Choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues. Our next topic is going to be on a desktop cleanup which is harder to pronounce than I thought it would have been. <laughs> Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, sir.